Welcome to Beyond the Lines. I'm your host, Jason Davis. You can follow this podcast on Facebook at Beyond the Lines Podcast, on Instagram, Beyond the Lines Podcast, on Twitter at underscore Beyond the Lines, and also on TikTok at Beyond the Lines Podcast. If you have any show ideas, questions, or comments, you can email me at btlpodcast213 at gmail.com. This episode is sponsored by Davis Vending. If you're in the Tampa, Florida area and you need a snack or drink machine for your employees or customers, contact Davis Vending at area code 813-530-6763 or email at davisvending71 at gmail.com. Davis Vending offers great service and affordable prices. For all your vending needs, contact Davis Vending. This is episode number 56, and today I will be discussing DeMar Hamlin. My guest today is no stranger to the show. She's a mental health professional and author of Blind Passenger and Blessed Passenger. Dr. Tate Screws, welcome to the show again. Oh, thank you so much for having me back. Always appreciate it. Yeah, I'm glad to have you back. One of these times, I'm going to have you on the show when we're talking about something that's more upbeat, uh, <laughs> something yeah. that's a little bit more positive. Yeah, unfortunately, when it comes to my job, we tend to talk about the just not so fun things. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about Damar Hamlin and what everyone across the country and really across the world experienced a couple of weeks ago. And so we just want to kind of dive into that a little bit and, and talk about how people cope with a situation like that. And we're going to look at some past incidents that happened yeah. compared the two in terms of how people cope and deal with that. So let's jump right into it. And so first of all, before we really get into these questions and get into talking about that, I want to say, you know, thank goodness he's able to make it home. I'm sure you and, and myself and millions of other people across the country and across the world prayed for him day and night that he would get better and get well. So yeah. I'm glad that he's able to make it home. I'm glad his family is able to have him at home and, and care for him. And so hopefully he continues to get well. So I just want to get that out of the way. Yeah. So first of all, what was your initial thought or feeling when you saw what happened? It was terrifying very scary, but I couldn't stop watching because I wanted, I wanted an update. It was one of those things where even the next morning, I'm like Googling on my phone, really trying to figure out what his medical status was. I think this situation, like no other that I can think of, nationally televised sports programming in which someone lost consciousness. I'm not aware in my lifetime. So we literally watched a man take what could have been his last breath, or at least it was his last breath in those moments. And so I think that is what was so jarring for everyone that we really watched something before our eyes that we all know people can get hurt. And we've seen that a thousand times. Someone hurt, they fall down. You know, We watch them wrestling with whatever their ailment is. We know they're hurt. We don't think about the idea that someone could have died in the moment on the field. That was scary. 
Absolutely. And I'm going to get to that life or death situation piece in a moment. But shortly after Hamlin's collapse, it became apparent that it was a serious situation and football became secondary. His teammates, coaches, and even the fans were visibly crying. Talk a little bit about the range of emotions and the reality of life or death situation that everyone was experiencing at that moment. Absolutely. I kind of likened it to, and this is just where my brain goes as a mental health physician, I kind of likened it to almost being in a war battle situation, like a veteran military. And I hope this doesn't offend anybody. That's clearly not my intention, but almost like seeing your brother in arms go down in battle. And all of a sudden there's still work to do, but my heart is aching for my comrade, my colleague, my like I said, brother in arms, as they're no longer able to fight. The difference between, you know, this war veteran kind of analogy is that, thank God the decision was made to cancel things moving forward in order to take care of our mental health, in order to check on our brother. Veterans don't have the ability, capacity to be able to say, oh, time out. I got to check on my buddy over here. It's one of those things where we had an opportunity to really do an emotional self-check to what we all witnessed. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great point you brought up because that leads me into my next question. And appropriately, the game was canceled. So talk about what the players and coaching staff may have been dealing with mentally and emotionally in terms of coping and processing what they just witnessed on the field. So they witnessed firsthand. They are inches, feet away from watching this situation unfold. And I don't know if they had any more insight than we did. All they knew is resuscitation was happening and he was being taken off the field. But did they know any of any signs of life? It doesn't seem like they had any more information than we did. So at that point in time, for all intents and purposes, they were grieving what they anticipated or the possibility that that might've been the last time I had interactions with this man. Absolutely. I also felt for the gentleman who had the tackle kind of encounter with him because all of a sudden the attention is on Damar Hamlin, but that young man had the last engagement with him, a last physical engagement with could have ended in a man's death. Yes. What must he have been feeling? So I just think there was just so many emotions on the field happening in Living Color. It was really trauma in action. Yeah, I agree. And and I'm going to go back to a point you made a couple of minutes ago where we've seen players in all sports go down, particularly football. We've seen players go down with injuries and myself, and I'm sure you and all the fans that were at the game, the players on both sides of the field, Everyone watching the game, I'm sure they initially thought, we all initially thought, oh, he's going to get back up. Maybe he has a, you know, a knee injury or maybe even a concussion. He'll get back up. Mm -hmm. And once again, it turned into what we all realized was a very serious situation. And we realized that football was the secondary at that point. In my opinion, everyone started to look at the situation and say, that might be my kid out there. You know, I have two sons. We all have kids that could have been in that situation. And I think that's where everyone started to realize, okay, this is a very serious situation. And this is someone's brother, someone's father, someone's cousin or son, whatever out there on the field. 
And I think that's where things started to change and, and people realized, that, okay, this is something very serious. Absolutely. A global situation became very personal, mm -hmm. almost immediately, like very personal. Like you said, you start to identify in your mind who that person could be in your life, your kid, your son, your brother, your uncle, whomever. But all of a sudden it became very personal all at the same time to all of us. Yes. I still continue to credit the coaches with making a decision about the young man, not the football player. Absolutely. Yeah. So over a month ago, we had a discussion about dealing with tragedy and loss, and particularly with the University of Virginia and University of Idaho cases. Those outcomes were obviously different than the DeMar Hamlin case in terms of what happened with each person. For everyone involved in the DeMar Hamlin case and those involved in the incidents at University of Virginia in Idaho, are the coping mechanisms the same for each situation in terms of what happened, even though the results were different? Great question. So you may experience similar emotions, but perhaps in a different capacity. Obviously, the first difference being that DeMar Hamlin did not lose his life. In the other situations, we had people who actually were murdered, killed, passed away as a result of something that happened. With DeMar Hamlin, I still think people were holding their breath for a while because he wasn't breathing on his own. There was still so much uncertainty. So the anxiety, like the anticipation of what's going to happen. And in the back of our minds, we're thinking, oh my gosh, what if he doesn't make it? What does that mean for sports? What does that mean for this team? What does that mean for different protocols moving forward? What does that mean for this family? Like we start thinking all of the broader implications with the uncertainty of not having an outcome in the moment. Great point. So I think with the college campus situations, we had a finality of understanding that people had lost their lives and now coping with maybe safety measures or just the next steps of what it feels like to be on campus after this happened. With the DeMar Hamlin situation, in the at least in the immediate day or two afterwards, there was so much uncertainty about his medical status that you're kind of left hanging in the balance, unable to get closure until you understand the status. Yeah, absolutely. And the players wanted to take several days at least to figure out what was going on and how he was going to be before they move forward with planning any games. And I think that speaks to, we hold athletes to this pedestal or this high standard. And for those guys and the coaches and everyone involved to say, you know what, I want to take a step back. Football is secondary. Yeah. I want to make sure that my teammate, my friend is okay before I step back on the field. I think that really shows the human side of athletes that us on the outside don't feel that they're human just like we are. They have feelings, they have thoughts, they have families and all these things. They go through the same things everyone else goes through. For me, that stood out that it showed, hey, I have feelings, I have empathy, I have sympathy yeah. for not only this player, but for his family and everyone involved that football is secondary. And I just want to wait and see if he's okay before we move forward. And again, we saw his teammates visibly crying on the field. So for those who think that athletes aren't empathetic, all they have to do is look and see what happened there on that field and realize that, okay, they're human just like we are. 
Absolutely. This was definitely a human interest story that just so happened to unfold in a sports context. Yes. It touched the hearts of everybody around the country and even became a, an, an opportunity for spirituality to take a forefront, whereas mm-hmm. that's been controversial in the past. It was an, you know, we all say, let's pray for DeMar, but we literally saw sportscasters praying on the air in the moment, not even sure if it was allowed, not even sure if they would have their jobs the next day, but really allowing their God to take a forefront in conversation. And again, that's the humanity coming forth. Whereas we take off our helmet, we take off our suits, we put our suit and tie away. And at the end of the day, our humanity comes to the surface. Our compassion comes to the surface and we are acknowledging the life behind the athlete and for your spirituality to come to the surface, your belief system to come to the surface, whereas usually those things take a back burner to the sport. I couldn't agree more. So for the Hamlin family specifically, how do they continue to process and cope with what happened to DeMar? So this is one of those life changing trajectories where, and I have to be honest, I still don't know the full medical status of him. I know he's been released from the hospital, but is this one of those situations where he requires a caretaker? Is this one of those situations where we're now looking at medical benefits and financial benefits from the NFL or the team as to what does his life care look like moving forward? And in any given situation, when you have a loved one who requires a level of, of caretaking, or literally somebody has to nurse them, or they no longer have an income coming into the house, it's all of those adjustments that make the initial difficulty more difficult. So it's the initial loss of income, initial loss of autonomy for DeMar in particular. It's usually able to get up and go and do what he wants to do, but perhaps he's limited in some way and therefore always has to have someone present or at least going to physical therapies. And so this is a process. So for his family in particular, I imagine a lot of adjustment issues as they transition to what does life look like for DeMar now? All right. And you made a great point in terms of DeMar making adjustments himself. And as you know, football players or professional athletes in general are wired differently. They think of themselves as gladiators. Like, you know, if I get hurt, I'm going to get back up. I'm going to get right back out there, play my sport and move forward. So for DeMar specifically, how does he process and cope with what happened to him? And what does his future may look like athletically? So this is an identity crisis. Mm -hmm. Usually when you have a person operating at one level of their physical capacities, they all of a sudden have to consider life in a different way once some sort of incapacity comes into play. I've had this conversation a thousand times with different veterans as well. They sometimes thought about going into the military and the possibility that they would lose their life they were able to accept that part. What they didn't always take into account is there's a possibility you could lose something else, a limb or a medical disorder could come up as a result of your military service. And now I feel less than a man. Now I feel 
less than independent. Now I don't feel the same way I felt before I went to war. And I don't know how to adjust to life with this new inadequacy. And so it becomes this identity crisis of what does my life look like now without football? Odds are DeMar has been playing football since he was yay high, five, six years old. And so he spent the better part of his life doing the thing that he loved, he was passionate about, he made it to the big stage. And now for that to be in question becomes, I've been doing football more than I've been doing most things. How do I now function? Who am I now if I'm not a Buffalo Bill? Who am I now if I'm not a football player on anybody's roster? Who am I now if I can't walk again or if I can't do physical activity anymore? Who am I now? And so that's the identity crisis that I believe DeMar Hamlin is really going to have to process and come to terms with moving forward. And there's there's obviously no time limit on something like that as far as processing that and, and getting through what the future may look like and hold for him. It's not. Everybody's process is different. I think it's quite possible that if he really felt like he had an identity separate from playing football, completely separate from playing football, then he'll be just fine. I was watching Coach Prime. Mm -hmm. I was watching his documentary. It's like a four-part documentary when he had to lose his toes. And he said, the doctors are kind of dancing around the issue. And he's like, give it to me straight. Like, what is this? And they were like, you could lose your leg. You could lose some toes. And he was like, but I'll live. Okay, cool. No problem. Let's move on. So his <laughs> mindset is like no other. His mindset was like, okay, cool. I just need to know. All right, I'll figure something else out moving forward as long as I have my life. Right. So those types of mindsets because he knew who he was without playing football that he was able to say okay cool i'll move forward and i'll shift my identity i'll shift what i know myself to be today i'll shift i'll do what i need to do to take care of me i have my life yeah, absolutely and so we mentioned a couple of times already that Demar's case was something that was global and everyone got to witness that. So finally, from this terrible incident, what did we learn about each other and us as a country? I would say the first thing is we learned that we are more compassionate than some circumstances show us to be. Yes. You know, we've gone through a very contentious time in recent years, mm -hmm. racial strife, political strife, all sorts of derogatory kind of division. I'll say that division is prevalent. Mm -hmm. In that moment, we were not divided. So I think our compassion and humanity came to the surface as we watched this young man fighting for his life. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. And unfortunately, it takes a situation like that to happen for everyone to be to come together and, and not be so divisive. But hopefully we can all come together and and be better at this and, and not necessarily have a situation like this that does bring us together. Agreed. Something more positive should bring us together. Yes. And I think just policy wise mm -hmm. and just generally being polite and kind to like those things take the forefront when you really put life in perspective on a regular basis. Yes. So Dr. Tate Scruce, how can people follow you and reach out to you? The best way is on Instagram, Dr. M.E. Tate, D-R-M-E. Tate on Instagram. That is also my website information, 
drmetate.com. Those are the easiest ways, one-stop shopping to get to me. All right. And they can also purchase your book from there as well, correct? Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. Well, Dr. Tate Scruce, again, it's always great having you on the show. I love having you on. Uh, again, we're at to find something more positive to have you on to talk <laughs> about. But uh, nonetheless, you offer some great insight and great information when we do have situations like that, that galvanize the country and galvanize the world. You have some great insight in helping us get through this and understand a lot of this stuff and, and to deal with a lot of this. So I really appreciate you coming on each and every time. I'm honored to be here. Thank you so much. Thank you. Talk to you next time. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye. Once again, I'd like to thank Dr. Tate Scruce for joining the show. So what are the three takeaways from today's episode? Number one, during the coping process, be patient with ourselves and the process. Number two, realize and appreciate the things and people that really matter. And number three, empathy, sympathy, and compassion can go a long way. Don't wait for a tragedy to show it or to have it. That concludes episode number 56. If you enjoy this episode, I ask that you share it with a friend. If you enjoy this podcast, I ask that you subscribe. Please tune in for the next episode. And as always, thanks for listening. Take care.